Good morning. My name is Sonia Thompson. Our first reading is from the book of Psalms. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The word of the Lord. Um, so let's pray and we'll get started uh, thinking about this marvelous part of the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed Be Thy Name. Lord our God, uh, we do come to you this morning and we do thank you so much for the privilege of worship for the wonder of entering into your presence, for the deep um, grace that you give us to worship you, to show our love for you. And now we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to the teaching of your word, that we might become men and women, boys and girls, that um, live for you, that are ready to throw all of our crowns before you who wears the crown as the King of Kings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Well, um, at the beginning of the message, I don't want to call uh, too much attention to myself, but I do think what uh, I have, uh, what I want to say here is pertinent to, um, to what we're going to be saying about this marvelous phrase from the Lord's Prayer. Um, I, uh, I have three names. Uh, one is Skip, uh, as is printed in the bulletin, and that name is the, you might say, sort of the common name that is used by most people when they address me, and it, it is a nickname, uh, I guess, obviously. And, uh, but, but I have a second name. Uh, a second name is Skipper. And that was the name that was originally the nickname when I was a kid to distinguish me from my father who had the same legal name that I did. And today, only a few people call me Skipper, people in my family. It's, a, it's really a name of uh, affection and um, it, it, just a, a name of, um, of being close, feeling close to me. Now, the third name is my given name, and that name is Joseph. And by the way, it's never Joe. Uh, I, ha I have a lot of friends uh, named Joe, but I'm not one of them. 
And you know, the, when I get a, a telemarketing call, you know, and I pick it up, usually I don't, but if I happen to pick it up and uh, uh, the fellow says, hello, Joe, I know he doesn't know me <laughs> and I hang right up. But sometimes I get a call and somebody says, Joseph. And usually I think, well, maybe that's, um, uh, that's something I should pay attention to. Maybe it's a doctor's office or um, something like that. But my point here is that, um, that names always tell us something about ourselves. And they tell us something about other people. They tell us how those people view us. So if you say skip to me, I know you're just being friendly. If you say skipper to me, you may be my sister or sometimes my wife. If you say Joseph, I know it's serious. And we've got to get down to um, important things. But you, when you consider the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, it doesn't say, hallowed be thy names. It says, hallowed be thy name. You see, God doesn't have three names. And immediately you're thinking, perhaps he does. But bear with me for just a minute. God doesn't have three names in the sense that I'm talking about. God doesn't have a name of sort of just being known by God. He doesn't have a name that's a term of endearment, though there are plenty of those. He doesn't have an, a legal name in the same way that we do. God has one name, but God has a hundred names. Not only is he God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but he is also named Many, many things in the Old Testament. You see, the name of God, using that phrase name, is a way of saying all of the things that God is. We might say all of his perfections. That's sometimes the way that it's put. And we know God in many appellations. That's a word for calling. We know God in many ways, depending upon how he wants to reveal himself to his people at a given moment or reveal himself to you at a specific moment. And so we do start the Lord's Prayer um, by saying, Our Father who art in heaven. Now, maybe in the last couple of weeks, someone pointed this out. I don't know, so I'll just point it out again. When we say our Father, what are we saying? We're saying that God is close. He's as a Father to us. He loves us in an intimate way. In other words, the formal term is we're speaking about God's imminence. But then we say our Father who is in heaven. Well, in heaven means different than me, different than us. It might mean you say he's far away from us. He's not right here. He's in, he's, though he's incredibly close in his imminence, he is far above my imagination in his transcendence. And to hallow God's name, therefore, begins with 
two things about him. He is indescribably close and he is indescribably distant. He is like us in every way, but he is not like us in many ways. You've pushed this a little farther, if you will, with me. It's strange sounding to hallow God's name to say that God has hallowness, but to even more to ask God to give hallowness to his own name. We might say, hallowed be thy name, but God is actually saying, hallowed be my name. We will not see all that it means for God to be hallowed. But we do see what God reveals to us about his hallowness. In other words, um, take the universe. We thought um, <laughs> 500 years ago that the universe basically consisted of us on Earth plus maybe a cloud cover. Well, now we know from the Hubble telescope how vast the universe is. And then when we think we know how, how vast it is from the Hubble, we have the Webb telescope. And the Webb telescope has just, has just be, beyond imagination, even beyond the imagination of the scientists who made the Webb telescope, we see things that are unimaginable and so far distant. So there are things that we don't see. In other words, we know enough, enough now to know that there are galaxies upon galaxies beyond what the Webb telescope is able to tell us. But there are things that God does and says about himself, giving himself honor and glory and power that we can't see because he's God and we are not. However, God wants us to see something of him. Not all of him, but something. What he intends to reveal to us. So he talks, the scripture talks about God's creation and God's redemption. And in each of these, God shows himself. He reveals himself to us. God declares himself and reveals himself to us in all of the beauty of creation. Like I was saying about the, the Webb telescope, God, God knows he's been there. God knows that's been there forever and ever. But creation is our way of speaking his name. Our way of saying the whole earth is full of your glory, God. Or saying... The trees clap their hands in your glory. Or we say, the mountains and hills break into joy in your presence. What we see of creation, we understand to be giving glory to God. So sometimes, maybe when you're at the beach, you see the beauty of the ocean and then, depending upon where the beach is, you see the sunrise or the sunset. 
Barbara and I have vacationed some in the panhandle of Florida. And along the panhandle of Florida, there's several beautiful towns, and some of you know them, have no doubt been there. But if you're just in the right spot, you see both the sunrise and the sunset. And they, they just are splendid, aren't they? Do you get bored of them? Do you get bored of seeing the sun rise each day if you're able to see it? Do you get bored with the sunset because, oh my, I've seen it so many times before? Well, the answer is no. You and I don't get bored of those things. They are the splendid things by which God reveals himself. There are many other things, but those, that's an obvious thing in creation. Now, the interesting thing about this, you see, is that, is that God does it every day in the case of a sunrise and a sunset. And sometimes, you know, when your children were small or your children are small, how you read to them a story at night and you get done and they say, read it again, daddy, read it again. Well, that's in a sense what we do when we face the beauty of a sunrise or a sunset. We say, do it again, God, do it again. <clears throat> because it is so <clears throat> beautiful to us. But you see, the beauty of God in nature, the way God is hallowed in the beauty of all that he has created is actually intended to propel us to another dimension of who God is that we do see because God intends us to see it. And that's God's redeeming work in Jesus. The creation, as it were, as splendid as it is, is not enough in terms of what God wants us to see. Rather, he wants us to see those things in order to drive us to see something even deeper. And that's how God redeems our lives in Jesus Christ. How he changes us. How he is honored. Not just because he dies for sinners so that we may go to heaven, but so that he would be honored by our salvation, by our coming to him. Have you ever thought of it that way? We know that God saves us in, the, in his redemptive work in Jesus, but do we know that in his redemptive work in Jesus, he is honoring himself? Just take one little set of verses here from Ephesians 1. In love, God elected us for adoption through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glory. And sometimes we just pass over that. We say, oh, that's good. God has cared for us. God has redeemed us. But right there in scripture, it says, as it does in many places, he does it to the praise of his own glory. He does it to the magnificence, to display the magnificence of his glory. In John's gospel, um, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth. He's speaking to the Father, to God. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. The work that God gave Jesus to do 
is to save us by his own blood from the peril of sin and death. To come to us in the incarnation, to expose himself, you might say, to all of the beauty, but all of the tragedy of humankind. All of our sin, God himself in the person of his son is is deeply engaged in all of that. And the tragedy, the tragedy of all that the world has become apart from God because of sin, that tragedy comes upon the Lord himself, upon Jesus himself. And he bears all the tragic things of the world, all the difficulty, all the pain, all the hurt, all the fact that there's been 300 killings since the first of the year. He bears those things. My wife is about ready to leave to go to be with a friend whose cancer has returned. And she's in a lot of pain. And Barbara's going to take her to the hospital. All of the hurt, all of the, 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 the difficulty that we have raising our children, all of the tragedy of loss, all of the pain of depression, all of the hurt of feeling estranged and lonely, all of those things Jesus has put on his shoulder, his shoulders on the cross. And there he has died for the pain of our sin and all that has come from it. I glorified you on earth, Jesus says, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And then you see the God, God honors his son. In, in John 17, it says, and now, Father, glorify me, hallow me, hallow me, God, with the glory, the hallowness that I had with you before the world began. God hallows himself in Jesus most of all. He hallows himself in the beauty of creation, but it's in his son. It's in his son that the deepest and most glorified and most deepest and widest, the breadth, the depth, the height, and the uh, uh, height and depth of God, God's love is displayed in the hallowness that he gives Jesus. So what do we see, especially beautifully described to us in John 17? We see that God hallows his son because his son does the work which God intended him to do. And we see that Jesus honors God by being obedient to that task. And we see that the Holy Spirit hallows God the Father and God the Son. This uh, triune form of hallowness, of honor giving, is really, if I could put it this way, it's at the heart of the universe. All the expanse that the universe is finds its deepest sense of being its deepest definition in the triune hallowness of God, where God 
hallows the Son, the Son hallows the Father, and the Holy Spirit is sent to hallow both of them. Have you ever stumbled into a room where you realize you don't belong? You know, maybe, maybe the example I thought of is a sort of silly and old example, but when I was in high school one time, I just stumbled into the faculty uh, room. And first of all, I were amazed that they all were smoking. That was really, you know, <laughs> teachers smoking, that was a real shock. But I stumbled into a place I knew I shouldn't be, where I didn't belong. But when we stumble in to the three-way hallowness of God, we may feel we don't belong, and that's a right feeling, we don't belong. But what happens? They say to us, come, sit at our table, eat with us, and then we see that we not only are there, we are part of what is there. We are brought in to the beauty and wonder of the Trinity. We share in the life of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it happens, it happens every Sunday in this room at the banquet of what we call the Lord's Supper. For in the meal that we are going to take in a few moments, we find ourselves brought in to the heart of God. And we must learn that as we come to take the Lord's Supper. It's not a ritual. It's not just something we do to remember what Jesus did for us. It's something we do in order to participate in what Jesus has done. What is the Lord's Supper, Paul asked, except a participation in the body of Christ? What is the Lord's Supper, he says, except a participation in the blood of Christ? So come that way this morning. And remember as you come, and remember as our expansiveness uh, about, about the gospel and the beauty of who God is as triune. Remember that as we do that more and more, we slowly begin to honor ourselves less. I see my, my puny self striving for the Glory and the approval of men. I see it for what it is. It's so stupid. It's so stupid in light of the fact that we are glorified by God in his presence as we give glory to God in his presence. I begin to see God in all of his amazing glory like a, like a prism. It's a prism is held up to the sun and you turn it. There's his imminence a bit more. There's his transcendence a bit more. There's his omnipotence, his knowing it all. Here is his omnipresence. He's present everywhere at the same time. Here is his love for me. 
Here is his goodness. Here is his patience. Here is the wonder that he is the Lord of Lords. You see, all this, all these names of God, all these hundred names of God, we see as we turn the prism slowly. And I really begin to believe that God's glory is more important than mine. And if I focus on myself, I... Uh, I become like Erasmus, the old humanitarian fellow that lived at the same time as Luther. And Luther said to him, your thoughts of God are too small, Erasmus. And I have to say to myself every day, Skip, Skipper, Joseph, your thoughts of God are too small. And then I begin to worship. And then I begin to see that worship is much more than perhaps I have ever thought it was. That worship takes us up into the heavens. The imminence of Jesus brings us up so that we not only see him as close in the Father, but we see him as beautifully transcendent, bigger than we could ever be. You know, human beings are incur incurably religious. We will always hallow something. We may put something in the place of God to hallow. But after we do that for a while, we, fill the em we feel the emptiness. God, you see, is in the business of making hollow people Hallow people. God is at work in you this morning doing that. To hallow God is to be captivated by his goodness, his truth, and his beauty. Have you ever seen a holy person? a person you would call holy, a person that just reeks of Jesus. In a sense, we're all holy. We're all redeemed by the blood, and we all are saints. But there is in the work of God over time in us the beauty of our becoming more like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Some time ago, um, when I was in seminary, I was working at a church in Darien, Connecticut, which was my home church, St. Paul's uh, Episcopal Church. You may, some of you may have heard of it. It's an amazing church that in the 70s went through this, this revival and one time, they had a speaker coming that morning. Her name was Corey Ten Boom. Have you heard of that? Have you heard of her? It's an amazing book she wrote about her time in Auschwitz where she saw her sister, Betsy, killed by her German uh, captors. 
And yet, out of that experience came a woman, came a woman who was very unusual, very deep, very full, very full of the Lord's Supper, of her fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. She was sitting in a room by herself, I guess preparing uh, for what she was going to say that morning, and I stumbled into that room too. And the minute I stumbled in, I realized I was in the presence of a person who hallowed God. Dear friends, dear friends, let us become that kind of person. I say that to you, uh, quite frankly, knowing that I am a long, long way from it. And if you're honest, you will say the same thing. But we are on a journey. People like Corey are ahead of us, but that's okay. We're all, one day, one day, all of us will be hallowing God's name. And we will realize that we will do it forever, and that, my friends, will not be boring. Father in heaven, Thank you so much for the privilege of speaking your word. And I pray that you would cause my friends to go away this morning with perhaps one resolve about your word that they would take into their hearts and then take into their actions as we all continue on the journey of seeking to hallow your name. Amen. We fall down, we lay our ground.